It is time to go deeper in God's Word. It's time to engage in truth. Here is Dr. Steve Ford and Pastor John Bornsheen. Well, welcome back to the Engage in Truth radio broadcast, a ministry of Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley. This is Steve Ford. I'll be your host on today's show. My co-host, Pastor John Bornstein, is blessed to be in Israel, shepherding his flock in the Holy Land. So let's take a moment and pray for them. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who stepped into his own creation over 2,000 years ago to save us from our sinfulness and pride that started in the Garden of Eden and persists even to this day. As Pastor John and those with him walk where Jesus walked, may they gain a greater appreciation of the sacrifice that you made for us and your steadfast love toward us. Having gained greater intimacy with you, please bring them all home safely. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm looking forward to next week's show. I mean, this is going to be, uh, we've got some really great things to talk about today, but next week's show, Pastor John will be able to share with us the highlights of his trip. I've already been in communication with him and they are having an amazing time. Before we continue, I'd like to give a shout out to my beautiful wife, Carla, for all her love and support, and also to my cousin, Bruce Benson, a passionate follower of Jesus Christ. Well, the topic for today's show is Christian hope. It's not something we always hear preached a lot about, but I I thought it was timely in light of, of what we see going on around us today. So some of this information was gleaned from a sermon series on hope preached by Timothy Keller some years ago. I'd like to examine three things about Christian hope. First, how it should impact the way we live our lives today. Second, what it tells us about our life to come. And third, how do we get it? So how should it impact the way that we live our lives today? What it tells us about our life to come. And how do we get it? Well, let's start with the words of the Apostle Paul, writing under the influence of the Holy Spirit to believers in Ephesus, regarding the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ Jesus. This is from Ephesians 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus, and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us, in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, 
that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe. According to the working of His great might that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at the right hand in the heavenly places, above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet, and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. We see then that in Christ we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, we have been predestined for adoption, we have redemption, we are sealed, marked as belonging to him. We are guaranteed an inheritance with Him, a glorious inheritance. We have His power toward us being immeasurable and great. We have access to the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Him. Because of all these things, we have been called to hope. You might ask, two millennia after the New Testament was written, why is Christian hope still so crucial? Why do we need the hope that Paul preaches when we look at what's going on around us in our lives today? Let's take a look at the headlines. They sort of remind me of a song from my youth. Those of us who remember a life before cell phones and laptops will remember Billy Joel's We Didn't Start the Fire from 1989. Throughout the lyrics, Joel makes his way through a whopping 118 historical events, traversing a rhythmic course through life from 1948 to 1989, never once straining to rhyme, breaking stride, or losing any momentum. And what's more, he wraps it up in under five minutes. The song was spawned out of a conversation that Joel had in the studio with Sean Lennon. Shaw was a friend, uh, Sean, I should say, was a friend who told Joel that it was a terrible time to be a young person. Joel was on the eve of his 40th birthday, and he told the despairing youth that things weren't much brighter when he was 21 either. Ultimately, he decided to elucidate this point by de- depicting the entirety of his 40-year history in a textbook of song. The last verse of the song recalls the current headlines of the day, Wheel fortune, Sally ride, heavy metal suicide, foreign debts, homeless vets, AIDS crack, Bernie gets, hypodermics on the shore, China's under martial law, rock and roller, color wars, I can't take it anymore. We didn't start the fire, it was always burning since the world's been turning. We didn't start the fire, but when we're gone, it will burn on and on and on and on and on. Of course, fire in the Bible is frequently a metaphor for God's judgment, there may be more truth to this song than Billy Joel ever realized. Fast forward to today's headlines, and we see that things have not gotten any brighter. There are bank failures, unidentified anomalous phenomenon, or UAPs, inflation, national debt, transhumanism, central bank digital currency, deep fake, AI chat, GPT, social media and its influence on elections, possible or ongoing war with China and Russia, gender identity issues, church apostasy, civil unrest, and seemingly increasing natural disasters. Now, the bank failures, the inflation, threat of war, wars and rumors of wars, civil unrest, and natural disasters are self-explanatory and have occurred throughout human history. But what about the challenges we face today from technology? Let's start with UAPs, Unidentified Anomalous Phenomenon. We used to call them UFOs, and discussion of them were mocked and relegated to the likes of conspiracy theorists, and flat earthers. 
The discussions now, however, are more open and commonplace. You can read headlines like, Pentagon director reveals new footage of unidentified flying object or footage of UFOs over conflict zone seen for the first time. This is devastating. Pentagon examining 650 UFO cases. And around the time the Chinese surveillance balloon was shot down, last three UFOs shot down likely weren't Chinese spy devices, U.S. says. How about artificial intelligence like ChatGPT? Elon Musk and others call for a pause on AI setting profound risk to society, the headline says. More than 1,000 technology leaders and researchers, including Elon Musk, have urged artificial intelligence labs to pause development of the most advanced systems, warning in an open letter that AI tools present, quote, profound risks to society and humanity. AI developers are, quote, locked in an out-of-control race, to develop and deploy ever more powerful digital minds that no one, not even their creators, can understand, predict, or reliably control. That, according to the letter from the nonprofit Future of Life Institute. AI powers chatbots like ChatGPT, Microsoft Bing, Google's Bard, which can perform human-like conversations, create essays on an endless variety of topics, and perform more complex tasks like even writing computer code. Looking at scripture, could AI possibly be involved with what we see in Revelation 13:15, where it says, and it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain? I don't know, maybe. Well, what about central bank digital currency or CBDCs? I found this from an article on the internet. The touted benefits of CBDCs include a new monetary policy tool for central banks, greater financial inclusion, no account maintenance fees, which would be nice, faster receipt of direct economic stimulus payments, and minimal to zero expenses for money transfers and payments. However, there are also potential downsides to CBDCs. These include increased surveillance, loss of anonymity, restrictions on saving and spending, negative interest rates, automatic tax collection, ouch, and the eventual elimination of physical cash. Is this reminiscent of Revelation 13, 17, where it says, so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark that is the name of the beast or the number of its name? Only recently in human history is this even remotely possible. Lastly, let's talk about something going on that some of you may not be quite as familiar with, transhumanism. Transhumanism. This is an article uh, that I found in The Guardian, and it reads, No death and enhanced life is the future transhuman. The 21st century tech revolution is transforming human lives across the globe. The aims of the transhumanist movement are summed up by Mark O'Connell in his book To Be a Machine. It is their belief, he says, that we can and should eradicate aging as a cause of death that we can and should use technology to augment our bodies and our minds, that we can and should merge with machines, remaking ourselves finally in the image of our own higher ideals. The idea of technology enhancing our bodies is not new, but the extent to which transhumanists take the concept is. In the past, we've made devices such as wooden legs or hearing aids or eyeglasses or false teeth. In the future, 
We might use implants to augment our senses so we can detect infrared or ultraviolet radiation directly or boost our cognitive processing by connecting ourselves to memory chips. Ultimately, by merging man and machine, science will produce humans who have vastly increased intelligence, strength, and lifespans, quote, a near embodiment of gods. Is that a desirable goal? Advocates of transhumanism believe that there are spectacular rewards to be reaped from going beyond the natural barriers and the natural limitations that constitute an ordinary human being. But to do so would raise a host of ethical problems and dilemmas. As O'Connell's book indicates, the ambitions of transhumanism are now rising up our intellectual agenda. But this is a debate that is only just beginning. There's no doubt, however, that human enhancement is becoming more and more sophisticated. Transhumanists believe that modern technology technology ultimately offers humans the chance to live for eons, unshackled as they would be from the frailties of the human body. Failing organs would be replaced by longer-lasting, high-tech versions such as carbon fiber blades, which could replace flesh and blood. Thus, we would end humanity's reliance on our frail version 1.0 human bodies into a more durable and capable 2.0 counterpart, as one group puts it. Ultimately, adherents of transhumanism envisage a day when humans will free themselves of all corporeal restraints. Some believe this turning point will be reached around the year 2030. At this time, biotechnology will enable a union between humans and genuinely intelligent computers and AI systems. The resulting human-machine mind will become free to roam a universe of its own creation, uploading itself to a suitable, powerful, computational substrate. We will become, it says, gods, or more likely, star children, similar to the one at the end of 2001 A Space Odyssey. Unquote. Wow. Now, I thought that one of the definitions of hell would be to be stuck with ourselves in an unredeemed state for all eternity. I'm not sure this is really the best idea. So now we can definitely see why Christian hope is still such a necessity today. Let's go back and examine the word hope a little more closely. What do we know about it? Well, for one thing, our English word hope does not adequately translate the meaning of the Greek word hope. The English word conveys a degree of uncertainty like, I hope it's going to happen, or geez, I hope that works out okay. The Greek biblical word for hope is more in line with Hebrews 11, where we read, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Christian hope is a life-shaping certainty about the future. It empowers us to live now in a way that is completely changed because of what we know is going to happen in the future. Let me read that again. Christian hope is a life-shaping certainty about the future. It empowers us to live now in a way that is completely changed because of what we know is going to happen in the future. So how does this work? Let's take a look. Say we take two people, we put them in two separate rooms doing the same monotonous, repetitive work for a year. The person in the first room has been told they'll receive $10,000 at the successful completion of the work for that year. Tell the other person in the next room that they'll be receiving a million dollars. Do you think this would make a difference in how they approach their work? Would it make a difference for you? And Jonathan Edwards, in his well-known sermon on Christian hope and happiness, tells us a couple of things about Christian hope. He says, first, your bad things will turn out for the ultimate good. 
Look at all that Jesus suffered, including his death. But then, look at all the good that came out of it. We see this in Romans 8.28, when under the influence of the Holy Spirit, Paul writes, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Now, is Paul saying that we will perceive everything that happens to us in this life as being good? Of course not. Christian hope is not that we are going to have a good and easy life in the here and now. Christian hope is in an ultimate future that affects the way we live now. If you're an atheist and you don't believe in God or an afterlife, intellectual honesty leads you to hopelessness. This life has no purpose. Believing in the sanctity of human life or even the concepts of right and wrong are merely social constructs. The concepts of justice and injustice are just reduced to that of an opinion. We're left like Macbeth to conclude, life is a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury signifying nothing. We are hope-based creatures. What we believe about the future will affect how we live our lives now. Next, Jonathan Edwards tells us that the best things are yet to come and that as Christians, they cannot be taken from us. The Lord of all the universe, the creator of all the galaxies that we see on the web and Hubble telescopes, treasures you. It is as C.S. Lewis said, He will make the feeblest and filthy of us into a dazzling, radiant, immortal creature, pulsating all through with such energy, joy, and wisdom and love as we cannot now imagine. He will be a bright, stainless mirror which reflects back to God perfectly, though of course, on a smaller scale, his own boundless power and delight and goodness. Or how about Romans 8.11? If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Or further on, Romans 8, 35 to 39. Well, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything at all, in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Jesus our Lord. 1 Corinthians 2.9, this is the King James Version. I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. We've answered the first two questions about Christian hope. The first was, How should it impact the way we view our lives today? The second, what it tells us about our life to come. Now, let's talk about how we get it. 1 Peter 1, 3-13 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ his resurrection from the dead and from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor 
at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The gospel changes everything. Here we see how it changes us. We are born again by grace through Jesus Christ. What is the real meaning of being born again? And what does scripture tell us about the new birth and the hope it gives? To people in the West today, the term born again Christian may have connotations of being conservative or emotional or of having had a dramatic conversion experience. But let's take a look at what Jesus said about it. In John chapter 3, we see Jesus speaking with Nicodemus about this very thing. Unlike his contemporaries, Nicodemus was open to the teachings of Jesus. He called Jesus rabbi, a term of respect. Nicodemus was a Pharisee, so we know that he was scrupulous in keeping the law. As a member of the Sanhedrin, he may have been financially successful. He was a respected member of the community. In spite of this, Jesus told him that he was missing the mark. He needed to be born again. He was telling Nicodemus that he needed to start over, not just do more of what he was already doing. With all his credentials, if Nicodemus must be born again, don't we all need to be born again? It's not a call to more morality or more religiosity, but to something different. Political affiliation, ethnicity, personality, temperament do not matter for salvation. The only thing that matters is being born again. 1 Peter 1.8 in the King James Bible is rendered, Joy unspeakable and full of glory. It's so beautiful. The new birth is the beginning of a new life and the unfolding of a new nature. It's not just turning over a new leaf and moral reformation. You can do that without new birth. You have a new nature that changes you from the inside out for the rest of your life. You may never have had an interest in going to church or worshiping with other believers, but you do now. You want to pray. You want to read scripture. You no longer want to do the sinful things that you used to do. Just like when we were born physically, we started as babies and had to mature. In the same way, these changes may take time, but they'll happen. You will also see fruit, good works done out of your love for Jesus Christ, and you will experience the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, goodness, self-control. If you're in a wasted, hopeless life, it can be a living hell. You're constantly trying to fill, as Pascal said, that God-shaped void with something else. For some, it could be financial success. Others, it may be a spouse. Even hobbies and interests, when carried to an extreme, can be a source of this. In the end, isn't this really just a form of idolatry? Trying to make a possibly good thing an ultimate thing, something without which life would cease to have meaning. Jesus came to save us from all that. Being born again gives us, quote, an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power is being guarded through faith for a salvation to be revealed in the last time. That is the result of our new birth. 
it should completely change the way we live. Without the new birth, you can look at the holiness of God. You can look at the love of God. Jesus dying on the cross. You can believe those things, but they're just abstractions. You can't sense the full reality of them. They're not galvanizing, life-changing. Being born again, you are now able to sense the reality of these things that before meant nothing to you. Do you have the hope today that you will spend eternity with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? Where according to 1 Corinthians 2.9 again, we read, I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. Just as Jesus said to the church of Laodicea in Revelation 3, 20-21, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him, meaning to have fellowship with him, and he with me. To he who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with my father on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Please, open that door to Jesus today, the door of your heart, and join us in the hope of eternity with him. Be born again into a relationship with Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Romans 10.9 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, not just Savior, but turning control of your life over to him, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you've done that today, please reach out to the pastors at Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley. The website is calvaryfountain.com or reach out to a pastor in your area and they will be glad to assist you in your decision. According to Luke 15, 10, this is a cause for celebration. I tell you, it says, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God for one sinner who repents. Well, that's the end of today's show. I'd like to thank our producer, Jack Hamilton. And until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.